So, hey guys, welcome to the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen, your host for today. So together we'll explore and enjoy conversations around entrepreneurship, creativity and leadership. And to get straight into it, on today's episode we have a very dear friend of mine, um, also essentially my business partner, brother from another mother, and he is the founder of Collective Minds. Um, we have an ex-Londoner, Zoran Vacha. Um, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hello everyone, I'm Zoran Vacha, uh, and I'm here <laughs> with you today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been quite an interesting journey. I started working with Zoran back in January, so um, yeah, the reason why I wanted to get him on the show is because he's just, you know, uh, really a true entrepreneur, someone who has just like so many ideas, like 10,000 ideas a day, but is someone who can actually make it happen and, you know, is a true executor. Because I think so many people have ideas and it's really, really easy to have ideas, but not many people follow through and actually, you know, make things happen. But he's super good at that. And, you know, I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail about all the other businesses you've started. Um, you know, essentially he starts off, he um, specializes in the music industry, but he dabbles in um, so many other things, which we'll go into. Um, so there will be plenty of lessons to share, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I think just to give you a bit of an update on uh, Collective Minds. So they're a, one of Southeast Asia's leading touring and music agencies. Um, and they're actually known for booking really top quality niche and like underground um, artists, showcasing different genres of music and I think Zoran is really, you know, like a true definition of what you could call a culture shifter. Like if you think about Singapore, you know, a few years ago, there wasn't really much of a music scene here and, you know, even festivals and everything, it's been quite hard um, because it's just about kind of educating the audience and bringing that kind of scene to, from London to kind of Asia, which has been difficult, I'm sure, and he'll go into more detail. But in the past three years or so, he's bought acts, including... Um, Giles Peterson, Snake Hits, we've had Craig David, Bonobo, um, and Young Ray, and just so many other amazing acts. And so Collective Minds really prides itself on being kind of inclusive um, and just like a mindset of all different types of creatives. Um, and so his story is quite interesting because you actually were nearly going to give it all up and move back to Hong Kong until you started a festival with Pharrell Williams, right? Um, which is <laughs> quite funny. Um, so do you just want to tell us a bit about, yeah, what life was like in London and sure. yeah, what, what happened and what made you start Collective Minds? Like, what was the true birth of the company? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've obviously been doing this a long, long time. You know, I, I started this in university and um, I, I continued in London. And whilst I was in London, I was able to like, work with a lot of top clubs, a lot of work with a lot of festivals, a lot of book, a lot of acts. And actually, I was more involved in the marketing section of the music business um, than anything else. So we ran marketing for venues, marketing for like little bars all around Shoreditch. And what we did was like do social media and marketing for people who didn't know how to do social media and marketing. Um, and or people who dropped. What social media was and they didn't understand what the power of social media was so you know through that we started building a following and then we got to do a lot of stuff that we didn't think we were able to do um the last event i threw in in london was probably the worst event i've ever thrown in my life um not because we did a bad job it was because the the headliner didn't show up and what happened oh, yeah. is he didn't was show the up headliner. can you share the headliner was a guy called mf doom um and what happened is like he de he decided not to show up, and there was basically a massive, a massive riot within the venue, right? And you know, no, like er everyone knew he was not going to show up. It was it was a massive like mistake on my part. It was me being a young gun, and thinking you know I had the biggest balls in, in London to do something like that, right? <laughs> Obviously, it did not pay off, right? And I'm in Asia now. Um, you know, the, what what happened after that was it, it basically. I, I, lost, I lost the ability to have confidence in myself to do what I wanted to do. Um, and I was already mm -hmm. going to Hong Kong to set up a portion of my business and do 
um, business in Asia and do business in London. What, um, what happened was I already booked that trip and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Hong Kong anyway and take a break, right? And figure out what I want to do. Yeah. I just lost all my money. I lost everything that I built. You know, I lost my team. I lost everything. And I was just, I was feeling down and I was feeling out. And the last meeting I had before I went to um, Hong Kong was, I met, met a guy called Justin, um, mm -hmm. Justin Sweden, who basically ran Clock and Flat, uh, which is the what biggest festival. Clock and Flat, yeah. which is the biggest festival in Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, he basically told me, you should stay in Hong Kong. I don't know what you're doing in London, right? You're from Hong Kong. You're born in Hong Kong. Why don't you give Hong Kong a chance? Uh, and he basically set me up with a few people. Uh, and I, I ended up meeting some people who were deciding to do a festival with Pharrell, um, which, which was great. And it was just like, I, I got there and I hit the ground running. Uh, and I, I basically was going to be there for one or two months. So I decided to start putting together a plan for this festival, right? thinking I was just going to go back to London afterwards. Uh, and after, after one or two months, they, they actually decided to keep me on for the festival. So I decided to stay in Hong Kong. And whilst I was in Hong Kong, I was getting like really in touch with my roots in Hong Kong. I always came back to Hong Kong for one or two days um, and, you know, looked at Hong Kong, looked at the club scene there, looked at the nightlife scene there. And I kind of looked down on it because, you know, I was from London, I was like, I was, I was in London and I was like really enjoying the culture in London, whereas yeah. Hong Kong was, Bottles, models, like, oh, it's really, really lacking. <laughs> it's LKF. <right. laughs> it's LKF, yeah. right? And, you know, I, 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 saw, I saw a massive opportunity there, uh, to be honest, right? And uh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of people out there who were cool, right? There was a lot of people out there that wanted alternative things, but it wasn't being supplied to them because they didn't mm, move there yeah. to do that. They moved there because they're a graphic designer. They, they moved there because, you know, they, they were in fashion. They, they moved there because they were in food, right? All, the, mm -hmm. all these kind of industries like play into something that, you know, they want entertainment, but the entertainment that's being supplied was, was Beastie, like, sorry, sorry, Backstreet Boys, Air Supply, oh that kind gosh. of stuff, which is just like, yeah. which, is not, which is not great, right? And, you know, obviously the club scene there was very, very vibrant in terms of people wanting to go get drunk and get fucked up, but you're listening to the same songs over and over again. So I decided, why don't I bring out, why, start, why don't I start bringing out my friends from London, right, and see how this works. And as I did that, my, my parties got fuller and fuller. And I, I decided, okay, this is the place I need to be, right? So mm. cancel my trip back to London and really just decided to like, you know, make, make Hong Kong my home, right? And whilst I, was, whilst I was in Hong Kong, I was able to travel around Asia and see what the other scenes were like. And I saw everything growing around Asia and I got really, really excited about Asia in general. Um, and I, I wanted to figure out a way, how do I link the whole of Asia up, right? And then that's the idea of Collective Minds. That's, that's where I was born. It was born in the fact that I, I wanted to link Asia up. It shouldn't be such a divided like, continent because, like, because being, being divided made, made us easy prey for, I suppose, mm. um, agents in the West, right? And I think that's, that's, that, that's, that was my key element to Collective Minds, how to make sure we all work together, not against each other. Um, and, and we're here now three years later. Um, trying to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's actually one of the biggest challenge, challenges for many, not just the music industry, but for many businesses who move over to Asia. They kind of just like, you know, pass it all in one and think like every country is the same, but there's so many different, you know, growth rates, um, personalities, different, you know, cultures, different languages and, and um, spending patterns and, and tastes. And so that complicates things so much. Um, but mm -hmm. there's just a lack of education around it and, and in terms of, like we said, educating the audience, like the taste in Taiwan would be very different to, you know, Japanese music taste, of course. Um, so it's I guess my next question is like, how did you, like how, how difficult did you find kind of um, bringing that culture to Southeast Asia and, you know, what was the kind of process for, um, I guess, driving this out to all the other countries? And, you know, how did you end up in Singapore, which is where you currently reside now? <laughs> so, I mean, look, I think Hong Kong was a very, very unique position. Like, Hong Kong, like, had a party mentality without having the right music. But as I, as I traveled outside Asia, when I went to places like Shanghai, when I played places like Singapore, the culture was already here. If you look at, like, institutions like Zouk or Woom, yeah. Woom um, in, in Tokyo, Zouk in Singapore, Right. They, they've been around for 20, 30 years. Right. And I, I think that their culture was there. Electronic music, you know, counterculture was, was already mm. ingrained into society. Um, everyone, everyone went to Zouk Out. Like Zouk Out was a festival that, that has been happening for 19, 20 years. I, I don't quote me on that, but like it's, it's around that time. Um, yeah. 
and everyone around the region would go to these things, right? You know, there's obviously Fuji Rock. So the culture was here, right? I was just in, in, in a hub city that happened to basically um, help me with like my, my kind of party needs, I suppose, right? Because mm -hmm. I was, at the time I was running parties, right? And I was good at running parties. Um, and I, that, that's all I wanted to do at the time because, you know, being in my 20s, right? Have, throwing parties on a weekly basis, right? It just, I, I was having fun, right? But it, that, that wasn't a career, right? And when, when it started turning into a career is when I, when I actually started to travel more and more and seeing kind of like-minded people around the region and seeing what they want to be doing. They, you know, they wanted to kind of push the culture forward. They want to, they want to take the next step, right? And, and you know, in, in my head, it was just worrying, like, how can I do this? How can I make sure everyone is doing this right? Because what I saw is a lot of people getting to a point and then failing hard, right? And yeah. that, that the failing hard is, is 15 years of work right down the drain and having to start again. And it brought me back to me being in London and that happening mm. to me, right? And it, it, it really, really resonated with me. So I decided, mm. you know, this, this is something I wanted to do. And who could, who would you say you saw were, were failing? Do you mean like other promoters? Um, can you give yeah, some yeah, examples? Other promoters. Other promoters. I, th I think mm. it's just, it's, it's overreaching, right? Overreaching is, is, is the word that I'd use. Um, yeah. Overreaching or basically like being fucked over, right? By, by, by prices for artists, by, you know, deals, that, like bad contracts, uh, you know, by artists not showing up, like, by, by like competitors basically going like, specifically out to fuck them, right? Mm -hmm. it was, it's, it was, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a doggy dog world out there, especially in the music industry. I'm sure you've heard mi millions of stories. There's been countless of series about the music industry and like how shitty it is, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think the thing is because, because we live in Asia and because we live in the wild, wild east, so to speak, right? It just like, it, it's been preyed upon for a very, very long time. So I think what we're, we're trying to achieve is we want to be as established or, um, you know, looked at the same way we the other kind of European cities are looked at, like other like American cities are looked at. We want to be on the yeah, same step, mm. right? And we want, we, want, we want to pay the same prices. We want to, you know, we, want, we don't want to, we don't want to like fight against each other anymore, right? And I think that's what we're trying to instill in each other's, um, in conversations with each other. Because, you know, it used to be, I used to hold all my cards to my chest. I, like, I used to think my competitors are the biggest mm. assholes in the world. I would, I'd, I'd smile to their face, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, you know I'd, I'd actively try to fuck them because that's, that's how you learn in the music industry, right? If, if, someone, if your competitor is winning, that means you're losing. That makes mm -hmm. no sense, right? Because especially in places like Asia where the counterculture or alternative culture is, is small, it's smaller and it goes against the grain, right? If you're, if you're killing your competitor, you're actually killing your market. Right? Yeah, totally. Think, you know, you're not, you're not allowing the market to breathe. You're suffocating it, right? And I think that's, 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 the, that's the point. That's the point what we're, like, what we're trying to achieve is like getting as many people to work together as possible in the quick, quickest um, amount of time. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just all about collaborating at the moment and given, um, and this for sure. applies for, you know, new and up and coming brands and realizing that sometimes, you know, even if it is your direct competition, like there is, mm -hmm. you have a unique way of doing things and can collaborate and, you know, you're mm -hmm. not going to be for everyone. So yeah, no. but I guess going back to the point where you say, you know, we can be the next New York and the next London. And I think mm -hmm. there really is demand for this kind of step up in music culture within Southeast Asia. Um, and so my next question is, like, how do you think, you know, like a Singapore or a Hong Kong can kind of globally position itself as being the leading for uh, music and arts within, um, within the region? It, 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 it's, re it's honestly really, really down to government support. Um, government support is, is, is massive. If you look at South Korea and you look at that kind of entertainment program they have within, within that country, it's, it's better than anywhere else in the world, right? And no, no one heard of like K-pop 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like it, it wasn't a thing, right? But it, mm. it's the biggest thing in the world right now. Um, you know, that kind of like, soft power um, exporting is, is ridiculous, right? Because they invested in their people, right? And I think that's very, that's very, very important. It's a bit weird for me saying, saying that because obviously I import talent. I import talent on a daily basis, right? Not right now because of coronavirus, but you know, I run, I, I run 200 shows a year and maybe, you know, 120 to 150 of those shows are from international talent. Mm -hmm. uh, our focus now is obviously changing to local and, and regional talent, but you know, it's really down to the governments to 
to educate number one and, yeah. and see this as a as a prospective career that is not frowned upon in terms of music and culture and actually funding the arts right as soon as you see uh, governments funding the arts you see a change in society straight away right if you're able to if you're able to go to venues that are subsidized you're able to go to exhibitions that are subsidized all of a sudden that that culture starts growing right if you go if you go to countries that don't subsidize the arts you don't see any growth in culture and you see growth in, in other aspects of, of the economy. Uh, and but I, I see culture as being very, very important. I see, I, I see culture as the kind of last step of becoming like a kind of like a world superpower, um, mm. especially a place like Singapore and Hong Kong, which have always been viewed as like financial hubs or yeah, maybe even like kind of restaurant hubs, right? Mm. You know, it's, it's food, food and beverage and financial. Right, but I think what what the next step after that is always culture, and you've seen Hong Kong go backwards because they they haven't been investing in their culture. Whereas Singapore, like like really really pushing forward, like because they're able to invest in culture, things like the F one, um, things like the Garden Beats, like all these things that are that, that are supported by the government makes it makes it a city that people want to move to, right? And I, I think that that's that's the attraction. Yeah, totally. I think sometimes we undermine, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, the need for the arts and culture. And an interesting um, project that we've been working on together is Tutu Tutu Arts Club, which is essentially a venue, um, a venue space here in Singapore. Um, it's very much, you know, if you were to compare it to one like London, it's kind of like, I guess, you know, it's very, it's like a blank canvas, I guess, you know, we want mm -hmm. to yeah, on is. shows and, you know, it's eventually, it's essentially available for people to hire and, you know, useful parties and private events, but we did want it to be our kind of like before COVID happened, um, to be yeah. you know our hub for creating more gigs and events and stuff. And I think there's been a lot of challenges, I guess, even trying to convince the government on our side that this is not just like a party for you know causing nonsense. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for trouble. Sure. It is essentially building towards the culture and the community here in Singapore, which is so so important and often overlooked. Yeah, I mean. I think I, I was very, very surprised um, that Singapore, Singapore definitely, you know, the government does really, really spend money on venues like in Singapore um, I mean, and art spaces and everything like that. But I think that the, the barrier to entry is very, very difficult. Um, mm. Just, just, just because it, they, there's no way of making money out of, out of the venues that the kind of government supplies like, yeah, you know, if you, if you have a decent amount of money already, you're able to use those venues. Right. And yeah. I think that's, that's the, that's the massive thing. What, what, what we're trying to do with Tutu Arts Club is like not having the lowest barrier to entry. And that, that has to do, not only to do with finance, of the ease of booking the space. Um, having a, a government venue, you need to go through this whole process of you know, insurance, you need to get risk assessment, you need to get all these kind of things that is very, very daunting to someone who would, like, lives in the world of arts. So we, what we're trying to do is do all these things for you. Um, and you're, you're able to do those, those exhibitions, you're able to put on your, your band, you're able to like sing, you're able to do anything that you're like, what, whatever kind of installation you want. And we will guide you through that process where we don't see you as a client, we see you as a collaborator. Uh, and I think that, that that was the important aspect of 222 Arts Club. Um, and then obviously when we, we open back up, we're, we're, we're going to get a lot of more things um, like that in there. But we, we found it very, very important to have a space that was that people can create and people don't don't feel scared about using if you ever I mean, you look at like a lot of the artists that are here in singapore mm. they they don't showcase their art that much um if you do look at if you look at all the kind of the top 10 bands or top 10 musicians in in singapore they hardly ever play any gigs mm. because there's no space for them to do so right and then no one's taking a chance on them we want this as a space that where people can go rehearse and it's expensive as well like then exactly. So exactly. 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 It's super. It's, it's super expensive, right? And I think you just it's we, we just need to get rid of that that, that barrier. It, mm. And I said, as I said, it's just it's not only financial. It's a, it's it's a multi a multitude of things. Yeah, it's people. It's like working with guys like you who actually understand culture, understand why these people want to do these shows. I think that's really important because you're essentially speaking exactly. the same language. You know. Exactly. Um, exactly. You're not just like some random landlord that doesn't care what you know mm -hmm. what the content of each show is about. Um, For sure. But yeah, For the sure. next question I want to move on to is um, mm -hmm. so since like working with you, you are literally just the king of networking. Like you know everyone and anyone, and I think you know <laughs> there's always like someone you know who can help you know with business and whether that's 
for example, an illustrator helping with a new website, uh, a logo launch, or you know, a website mm -hmm. designer, or you know, just someone to collaborate with. Like, and I for think, sure. especially within your industry, the art of building connections mm -hmm. is so so important. But I just think, in general, like for anyone wanting to start a business, um, mm -hmm. like network. I hate to use the word networking because it's very, you yeah. know, oh, there's a lot of stigmatism attached to it. But essentially, it is networking and building yeah. relationships. Um, can you just like share to us some, some secrets around, you know, how you build relationships and how you kind of, you know, where does the fine line between like value exchange and, you know, working with people come sure. in place? Um, <laughs> well, I, I think the thing is, the thing is that with, with networking is that everyone, everyone thinks networking is work, right? And I, yeah. I, I really, I, you know, I, I go to a million networking events and actually the, the, the majority of the... <laughs> My networking happens outside the networking events. Um, and I, I think that the, the important distinction here is networking is not only about emailing someone or like, you know, trying to call them or set up a meeting. Like networking is making friendships, right? And, you know, I've got like my kind of like little black book, so to speak, is filled with people I can call on if I'm in trouble, right? It's filled with people I can call on if I need something fast or I need something urgent. It's like, you know, it's something that if I call them, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm calling for work, right? And that's what's important, right? That's, that's how you build a network, right? If you, if you always call someone for work, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's not someone who's part of your network. That's someone you work with, right? And I, I think that's a, that's a very like, clear distinction. I, I think it, because if you want to work with someone on a regular basis, you, like, you, you don't always have to be their friend. But like, I think it just becomes a lot, lot easier if they are your friend, right? If you meet, meet, meet up with them outside work, call them, about other things, make sure you keep in touch for, you know, when you go to their country or, you know, make sure you, you go to their birthday parties or everything like that. I, I find that a lot more important. I spent, I suppose I spend a lot of my time actually going to, to, to things that are, that have nothing to do with my actual job, you know, whether it's events, whether it's exhibitions, whether it's, you know, like, you know, dinners and stuff like that, because mm. I, I always think about who I'm going to meet at those dinners. Who am I going to meet at someone's birthday party? Right. And yeah. I, I think that it's not, it's not that I, 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 I'm like, a, I suppose, like I want to make as many friends as possible and network as much as possible because actually- You just want all the friends, <laughs> I don't want, I want all the friends. I want, I want to collect them all, but like- I, You should have this I, guy, I think, it was his birthday yesterday and the email repost. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, another repost. Like how many friends do you have? It's crazy, <laughs> so popular. They're all over the place. But, but like, look, I, th I think the thing is, it's like, I, I really hate the aspect of, of people like really kind of pushing networking kind of stuff right because it, yeah. I, I, re, I really think it, they, they, there's advantages to it then the advantage of it is bringing people into the same place but like the networking doesn't actually happen at the networking event right it, it happens when you have a beer with someone afterwards i mm. never carry business cards to any of these networking events right and I, I think you know that that's obviously because my business partner is lazy shit right and he hasn't he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't got them for three years. <laughs> but yeah, I love you. But um, but also the, it, it works because the thing is at the end of the day, if someone really wants to contact you and just just not sending a blind email because they met you, right, we'll find you, right. And that that kind of that that process is is something that actually they, they, there's a time there they have to spend actually doing it. I know that that sounds like a, like an asshole thing to do, but actually after networking events, like sometimes I get like a hundred emails, right, and just like you have you have to kind of stand out, right, especially if. You're, you're pitching for the same thing. And I think the thing is at the end of the day, if I, like, if I, if I don't give out my business card, I know these people specifically want to contact me because they're trying to get my details somewhere, right? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, that, I suppose that's, that's me being- That filters an, out the, yeah. It's, it's a filter, it's a filter. Yeah. But you know, you, can, you need to find your own filter, right? And you need to find like, like who to work with and who, who not to work with. As you said, like, like I'm, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so to speak, but I have 10,000. <laughs> I have 10,000 uh, ideas a day, but you know, I also get 10,000 emails a day, right? Uh, about doing work, doing things. And I think that it, it's, you, you need to filter yourself as much as possible. Like that's the way I filter at networking events, right? And I shouldn't have said that because everyone knows now, but like, I think it, it, it's, it's a good way. Learning to say way. no, right? Learning to say no yeah. is a very, very big thing because like, there's so much you can do out there, but like you don't want to do everything. Because if you do everything, it's gonna the, the quality is gonna drop, and I think that's yeah, exactly. that's the, the most important lesson I've learned after over the last two or three years. It's like the, it's the power of saying no, right? If I can say no to things, like which I'm uh, thankfully I'm in a position to do, right? It just it, it means like the things that I'm doing, I'm thinking about, and I, I really want to do.
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think you can apply that lesson in, to so many other areas of your life as well. For like sure. Social for sure. situations. But exactly. yeah, like I think the way that people meet is like, you know, I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking of this, but when I go to an event, it's just funny how you meet people, you connect. Um, and you could meet your next business partner at certain events. Like we met at, at my event, I think, and we didn't even, actually, we never even met, to be honest. I think you were that annoying person. I asked the question at the end. I asked the annoying question at the end. I was like, sorry, it's end of time now I've finished. He said, no, 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 please, can I just ask this question? Um, but, you know, we're so glad you did because otherwise we wouldn't be here today. But, yeah, exactly. I think it's just about coming from an authentic um, manner and realizing that's just friendships and connections that you're trying to make, not slimy exchange. You know, what can yeah. I get and what can you get? Um, and that's, exactly. like, a really important value I learned. Um, when mm-hmm. I read this book called... It was like, what is it called? Never Eat Alone. I don't know if you've heard of that book. But, um, I have heard of it. I haven't read have it. Have you read it? Yeah, it no, talks I about, yeah, the nutshell of the book, essentially. Yeah, Never Eat Alone. Like, always start conversations. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, with different people, not with the intention of trying to get something from them, but just because you're curious, because you never know what yeah. happens. Like, sometimes the, these value exchanges come, like, months or years further, further, uh, further on down the line yeah um yeah okay well i just wanted to move on move to the topic of i guess more so like the practicalities of starting a business and you know Mm -hmm. we mentioned alfred who is your business partner um Mm -hmm. earlier on and and i guess you know you're very much all about creativity and music and culture but also you're very you know business-minded and you have a strong business acumen but for a lot of creatives here who kind of have a passion and want to start something but lack in the business sense like how how has your journey been in you know starting a business and you know working on the finance I mean, it's side been a things? very i suppose it's been a very very painful uh <laughs> i've lived a very painful life um like no i i, I suppose I, I i like like that you said i have business acumen because i i feel like i don't <laughs> and, I, and and that's the truth you know I, I think you know having someone like my business partner alfred really kind of elevated what i was able to do um, you know, you, you need to get your operations right. You need to get your day-to-day right. And I think that's, that's crucial when you're growing a business. Um, and, I, you know, we, we still haven't got it right. And we're, we're still on, on the path to getting it right. And we, we speak about it on a daily basis. We speak to you about it on a daily basis, right? Where I think the thing is, having, having that kind of backbone there, you can, have, you can be a person with the best idea in the world, right? But if, if your idea doesn't work because of operations or like budgeting or cash flow mm. or anything that is the, back, the, boring, the boring side of the business, right? You're, it's not you're, boring. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but like, you know, like, so to speak, because like, look, I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there or there's a lot of people who want to start their own business with a fucking great idea, right? Um, and the execution yeah. of the idea is great in terms of like the product is amazing, right? But the back end is terrible, right? And I've mm. seen so many people fail, including myself. I've failed multiple times because my, you know, my back end is, is terrible, and my back end is like, you know, like how I do on my accounts, how I deal with cash flow, how yeah. I, you know, how I deal with all those kind of processes, right? And I think, you know, it, you can't just focus on on like what your business is viewed like out to the rest of the world. You need to focus on like you know, your kind of structure within your business, right? And and I think that that is the most vital thing to learn as an entrepreneur. Right. Like you need to learn every aspect of your business. And I, I think, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still learning on it on a daily basis of, of what to do, how to do that. And obviously being involved in those conversations. Right. I don't need to lead those conversations. But I need to be involved in them, because if you don't take care of those part of your that part of your business, you're going to you're going to tank at some point. Right. And you're going to tank without even realizing it. Uh, and I think that that's what that's what people forget. People forget you're running a business. You're not running like Instagram. You're not running a a brand that you know people yeah, like, and yeah. you're not you're not you're not like you're not really kind of running a business through like facebook likes and stuff like that it just that's not that's not that's not a business your a business is like filing your taxes getting the accounts right getting making sure people are paid on time having the, all that kind of structure in place right so so then you can continue running as a business right and, and unfortunately that's the that's the way the world is um, and creatives and like, I suppose like entrepreneurs like don't have that kind of acumen. And, you know, I, I, I really feel like I don't, but then you need to find someone who does, right? And who can yeah. run the business like, you know, with you, right? And then that's, you, you need to find partners. You can't make, you can't do everything yourself, right? And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's another important lesson I learned. It's like, I always thought I can do everything myself. You know, if I had various business partners throughout the time, they've been great, but I haven't given them the capacity 
to kind of grow with me. I was like, this is what we're yeah. doing and this is how we're doing it. Right. And that's a, that's a really, really like, it's a wrong way of thinking because they are skilled in what they do and you're, you are skilled in what you do. Right. It's not about staying in your lane, but it's also like realizing what, what capacities you can work to. Yeah. Just uh, and, what your strengths and yeah. weaknesses are. <laughs> so exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, I suppose that's the most important kind of lesson uh, that yeah. I've learned, especially like, you know, like having someone like Alfred on board, who's an older head, we're not going to tell you his age, but you know, he, <laughs> don't bait him out. I'm going to bait him out, but like he's older than me, and he's 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 seen it all, right? And he's been in my position, right? And I think that's what's so great about our, our relationship is like you know his his ability to say no to me, right? And say say no to me in a, in a very very strong way, right? And yeah. I, as as me and you know, like his first his first word after you make a big speech about what you want to do is no. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is the biggest blessing that I have in my life right now. Right. It just like, it's like someone, someone disagreeing with me. Right. And I've always like, I've always fought to get my way. I've always like pushed people down like being because I, this is the way I, I want it. But I suppose like with someone like Alfred, like I need to explain myself. I need to be like, this is why I think we need to do this. And no always comes as a shock. And it comes mm-hmm. as like, you know, me being angry that he doesn't understand. <laughs> and then it, it means like I have to explain why I think this way. And sometimes yeah. I basically argue myself out of like wanting to do it, which is perfect, right? That's exactly the, the outcome that should happen, right? But sometimes I argue um, Alfred's position. And then what, what happens is like we, we come to a place where we both agree, right? If you're running a business, especially with a business partner and you, you don't agree with some, on something, you know, you're, you're not pushing in the right, you're not pushing in the same direction. Right, which mm-hmm. is dangerous because you know you're not you're not taking the advice of the person that that started that business with you, right? And I think that you, you need you need to take advice on board, especially if it's if it's your business partner, no matter how stupid you think it is, right? Um, you know, there's always yeah. a reason for it. I agree. I think Alfred, like having worked with both of you, you both have very clear strengths and weaknesses, differing from each other, and I think he's able to see your blind spots, and you're able to obviously see his. Um, and I think that's important when finding someone that you want to work with so closely. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's challenging in a way, and obviously there's a lot of emotional layers as well. But when, once you get past that, then you know it helps you become a better business essentially, so you can keep on sure. evolving. And I think what you mentioned earlier on about just like all the back end stuff, like even just having like like SOPs, like standard operating practices, and it's just like having mm-hmm. resources written down and not so much resources, but um, processes. Um, how is this going to be done? Because if, you know, this person, this employee leaves tomorrow mm-hmm. out of the blue, can you get someone in to replace them like straight away? Like these are all yeah. really important, especially if you plan to scale a business. I think, sure. you sure. know, the back end stuff can be, really messy and you can understand it as your own business owner but if you want to scale you have to keep it neat and tidy from the very early stages um yeah and yeah i suppose we we really i think we should we should have done it a lot earlier but um i, I think you know learning as busy well, running 100 events a year <laughs> exactly exactly and you know I, I suppose things things like things get in the way you know obviously things that you like out of control like an artist cancelling COVID-19, um, the protests, um, you know, they, they, they've been yeah. a lot over the last year or so. Um, yeah, totally. But, you know, I, I think it just, it, it's, it's making sure when these things happen, like you, you, have, you have measures in place. And I think that's, you know, as we, as we go through more and more of these things, we're, we, we're understanding how, how to get these measures in place, you know? Yeah. I think that the, what, what people think, like every, people think that everyone has it figured out. Like everyone, like Jack Ma had to figure it out. Like, you know, Jeff Bezos had to figure it out. He was learning. He was learning everything. Like they're all learning at the same time. You know, I'm not putting myself in the same elk as those those guys. But like what I'm saying, it just like yeah. they made mistakes. It's continuous, right? it, it, yeah. It's continuous, right? And I think that's that's it. Don't be so hard on yourself. Like you know, when something goes wrong, right? Like just realize it's gone wrong and realize why it's gone wrong and like try and fix it, right? And just basically make sure it doesn't happen again. And if it does happen again, so figure out why it's happened again. And I think that's, you know, you just don't, don't be scared of mistakes because, you know, if you're scared of mistakes all the time, you're not going to move anywhere, right? You're actually going to make totally. more mistakes. Yeah. I think if you're not making mistakes, that's actually even more worrying because like you're not learning or you're not progressing in any exactly, way. Exactly, um, exactly. So just like, I know, I don't want to delve too deep into COVID. I think everyone's set up caring about it. But uh, the point that I want to raise, <laughs> let's not talk about that. I didn't have <laughs> Yeah, please. So the point I want to raise is that um, I was actually, you know, pretty impressed at how quickly you were able to 
um, essentially um, pivot and reiterate the business model. Obviously, Collective Minds being very events focused um, and there not mm. being any events allowed in Singapore, or even the whole, whole world. So <laughs> what you did is you essentially, within the space of like two weeks, um, and uh, you started a collaboration with Michael Liu, who is an SMB, you know, founder. And um, we started Selects, which is an alcohol um, e-commerce platform. Um, and, you know, I helped you along the way and we did, we basically brought the website up within, we did it all in 10 days. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's just like, I just wanted to talk you to share with the audience how quickly you were able to pivot, you know, into a competitive industry and a platform and what challenges you found um, and, and if you think it was the right decision to do so. Um, and yeah, just shed a bit more light on, on that yeah, really. For sure. I mean, I, I think the thing is, like, it, like, pivot is such a buzzword. Um, yeah, I know. I didn't want to use it, but I was like, pivot is the best word to use. Oh, exactly, exactly. And I, I've done it. I've done it in a million interviews. Pivot, 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 right? Like, I think the thing is, it is, like, mm. correct, right? Um, I, I've, I've seen a lot, a lot of cases where people have pivoted out of panic, right? They're like, oh, shit, mm. we need to do something. Um, and I, I think, I think that, that that's a problem because people aren't really kind of thinking about what they want to do, right? Um, so I, I suppose like the, the lesson here as opposed to like move fast is like actually like do something because you're, you're passionate about it. Right. And, and do something because you, you, you've thought about it and researched it and think it's going to work. Right. Um, you know, I, I think with, with our kind of, kind of pivot or like, you know, our, our new business, it, it was due to the fact that we already have pre-existing relationships with alcohol suppliers within the industry. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're actually already like already in the process of doing a project with Michael Liu, who's our partner in this project. He owns, he owns a company called Orientalist, which is a spirit brand, which has like vodka, whiskey, and gin. Um, and I think, you know, with, with his knowledge and our kind of like marketing abilities to market things, to market music and market artists, it made it a lot easier for us to go into go into this because we had someone who's an expert in in the alcohol industry uh, and we were like experts i suppose in the front end industry like get, getting people to know about these products mm. and what we we did to start off with is obviously target local producers because we know that they, they were the hardest hit because bars have been closed for such a long time um and you know they that that's where they distribute to they don't distribute to people's homes they distribute to to bars who sell their products like on like mm. you know in cocktails as mixes and stuff like that. So I think you know what what happened was those alcohol producers or distributors weren't able to kind of sell to the general public and the general public at home were the only people drinking. So we try to close that gap as much as possible and we saw that gap there. Obviously we've seen like the rise of everyone doing this right now. You know everyone selling you know everyone's selling cocktails, everyone's selling alcohol because everyone's yeah. stuck at home. <laughs> Right. And like, you know, delivery has become like the biggest like thing, like uh, all around. But I think when we started it, obviously we did it like pretty much straight away. I think it's like 14 days into to lockdown or not, actually not, not 14 days into lockdown, like 10 days into lockdown. Um, you know, again, we, we were able to use like rely upon our network and, and get this like, together fast. So we obviously got a graphic designer that came up with a logo very quickly. You know, obviously you pitched in, you know, the team like pitched in, we had like, we had like, um, a UX designer. We, we got, every, we got the team together very, very quickly. And I think that was very important. Right. And every, everyone's like, okay, cool. We're going to do this. Like, this is how we're going to do it. And we haven't seen each other. <laughs> we haven't, the, the whole point of this is just like, yeah, we, we have not seen each other to start a new business. Like I took three years to start collective minds. Right. It's like, it was just like meetings, talking, phone, phone calls, all this kind of stuff. And I just like, didn't understand like, you know, I didn't understand like how, why I wasn't getting together. Right. But I think mm -hmm. the thing is because you're, because of the current situation, people got really, really focused about doing something. Right. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of, that, that really opened my eyes to like being able to do something in the future. Right. We don't, yeah. you don't need to spend that much time. Right. You need to, you need to basically hone the product, get it right, get the right people on board. Because I think the thing is when you're kind of thinking about how to start a business, you're thinking about how you're going to start the business, not getting the yeah. right people. You know, yeah, yeah. how you're going to do it. It's not, if you have the right people in place, like actually it speeds up the process so much faster because you have ex experts in each of those, those roles mm -hmm. straight away. Right. And I think that the value in hiring the right people is, is, is important. So important. I think it's just about as long as you have a vision for it and you know, the, the end product, you can see that and anticipate that because the truth is when people start businesses, you have no idea how you're going to get there. You just, 
know you want to get there and then you figure out along the way and to be honest with you I mean you know this with me as well like working with you I had no experience in e-commerce like but we just mm-hmm. had to learn <laughs> we had to like sure. and then we started a shop like and then we realized actually shit you know we need um uh, we need to find a developer because a designer is not going to be enough um and yeah. then we very quickly learn and and now it's just Everything with the internet, there's so much, so many resources, so much information out there. If you just have the goal and you're, you're you know, excited and driven by it, then um, you then can you do, do anything. It. And it's a good point yeah. you raised about us. We haven't actually seen each other at all. I mean, obviously, we've, we've been working with people who we already had existing, you know, relationships with. We were aware of their, the quality of their work. But technically, we've been working with people that we've never worked with before. And you know, without having actually seen each other face to face. So I think yeah. that says a lot. <laughs> it says a lot. I, I think it, it, it re- it's really kind of changed my thinking on, on ha- like how to work, you know, and really kind of like, as, as you've seen, uh, like I've kind of really let go in terms of like, I have to be involved in every phone call. I have to be involved in all this kind of <laughs> stuff. So just like, yeah. you know, just like actually like, like is letting it, it's allowed me to let go. Right. And I think the thing is like I was so adamant in, in terms of like being involved as much as possible because I traveled so much. Right. So mm-hmm. obviously like last year, like I think I, I don't know the number, but it's between 150 and 170 flights. Right. And oh I think gosh. that, you know, which is just like, I think it, like that, that in itself is like, makes, makes me really, really like angsty. Anxious, like, like, so, like, you want to be on top of things. Yeah, exactly. So then when I, when I have time in the office, I want, I want to be involved in everything because yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm missing out. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, yeah. that's the thing, right. It's just like, you need to, I, this, this has taught me like to let go as much as possible. Right. And you know, if you have the right people in place, you, you can let go. Right. And you can like push on responsibility and you can, you'll be involved in the decision-making process at some point when someone asks you. Right. And I always get excited when someone asks me like a question. Um, but I, I think that's, that's, you know, but that, that allows you to do other things. Right. And, you know, especially yeah. during this period, like I've been able to plan forward, right? Where we, like we've been we've obviously been working on certain things that we've been able to plan for next year, right? Which we, we, we've been trying to plan for for the last six months, right? right? Mm-hmm. But actually we're able to kind of put things together. I'm not looking at like kind of my immediate future. I'm looking at my next three to five years, right? And I think that's, that's a very important aspect of what's going on right now. So that it's, it's allowed us to slow down mm-hmm. and kind of really reset, look at like yeah. the bigger picture. Right? And I, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I think it's a good point. I think what you're talking about there is the art of delegation. And, you know, sometimes we want to, of course, as a business owner, you want to be involved. You want to make sure everything's right. But sometimes you just got to pay the right people to do the, the things for you um, and, and just have trust in that. Otherwise, it's going to be impossible to scale. Um, and I think that's what I've noticed, even with, like, I guess, like, freelancers. Like, I, I've noticed a lot of people struggling because they're trying to do everything. They're trying to write the blog post. They're trying to do their website. They're trying to... Um, create content they're trying to serve their clients and it's just like just hire someone to do one part and you know so yeah, you can spend yeah. that time to do the high level thinking and the strategic stuff yeah um yeah exactly the For same sure. in in business as well um so i guess you know you mentioned like five three to five years time how tell us a bit more about how you think collective mice is going to evolve over the next few <laughs> years and what plans you have <laughs> i mean i know but i, I, I know you know <laughs> look, look i mean i i think this this unfortunately our industry in terms of the events industry is like it's probably one of the hardest hit industry in the, in the whole world mm. right obviously yeah. you know there's there's a lot more people like worse off than us right and you know you know people are going to suffer because this is this is a worldwide problem. You know, people have lost their jobs, people have lost their livelihoods, people lost their savings, people lost their family, right? And I, yeah. you know, it's it's important to think about it in that way, right? So, like me sitting here crying about like losing my events company, it's like it's it, it's 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 not it's not that big a thing. You know, I've got a family that will support me. You know, I've got like people around me that will support me, and I know I can go into another job uh, as soon as it finishes. So as as soon as I kind of shed that kind of weight like off me, like kind of really kind of figure, I wanted to figure out what I want to do next. Right. And what, what, what am I doing in collective minds that actually doesn't, doesn't appeal to me anymore. Um, you know, the, the travel aspect is, is a massive thing. You know, I, I thought I had to be everywhere, but like I've only done two flights this year and it's June. Uh, and I think <laughs> like I've, I've achieved a lot more like, by doing yeah. that than actually traveling anywhere. And I think the, the, the next step for collective minds is, is trying to figure out a way to kind of shore up the events industry 
throughout Asia. I'm not talking about your kind of stadium gigs. I'm not talking about your festival gigs. I'm, I want to make sure events are happening and cultures are, are progressing in the way they were before COVID happened. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in my position are going to be out of work for a year, right? You know, we're obviously starting other projects that we're doing, but we haven't seen any revenue since January, right? It's already June. Um, you know, people are not in our position that are able to kind of just like kind of scrape by and just figure it out, just like obviously pay each other like the bare minimum and just like kind of continue on that kind of like path. A lot of people didn't have, I suppose, the, the money in the bank or the savings to kind of just like, you know, spread that out as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people in, in, in places where, you know, they're not able to get that income back straight away. And I, I think what, what we're trying to achieve is making sure, you know, we we really, really kind of provide a backbone for all those people in those places, right? To be able to continue going, right? And that's what we're trying to figure out right now. It's like, how do I help the person in my position, right? You know, we, we started, I suppose I started COVID-19 trying to figure out like how to help like individual people, right? And individual mm -hmm. people, meaning artists, musicians, creatives, how do I get money in those guys' pockets, right? But actually what I'm, what I'm trying to achieve is that how do I get money into the, the pockets of the people that like provide culture, within each of those like, communities, right? And mm -hmm. how, how, do I, how do I provide a backbone so then they can continue to survive? Because a lot of these people are like multi-skilled, right? They, they understand marketing, they understand production, they understand a lot of different things within the business. But the, the, the scary part about this is, it just like they might have to go get nine to five jobs, right? Nine to five job is not a bad thing, but like a nine to five job, like for someone who is like kind of a pillar of a community, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it really takes, takes away what that kind of community is, right? And it take, it'll take 10, 10, 20 years to rebuild what they had, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's very important, like, part of, like, what, what we're, like, learning about. It's, like, who, who, are these, who, are the, who are the people who are, like, driving? And I have used culture way too much in this whole thing. But it's, like, who are, who are the people driving culture forward? Who are people, like, really kind of going against the, the grain that, that makes sure they set alternative source of entertainment or creativity mm -hmm. that's in these, yeah. in these regions, right? And we're, I suppose we're pinpointing those those people or those companies and figuring out how to help them uh, and how to move them forward. Right. And, you know, that's through funding, that's through kind of like phone calls, that's through everything that we're doing to make sure this industry survives. Right. Because the, the worst thing that's going to happen, like when this comes back, is like actually people with massive war chests, right. Are going to be able to survive and they're just going to take over the whole industry and it's just going to be cookie cutter. Right. It's going to be cookie cutter throughout the whole Asia and possibly the world because the people like in, in my position aren't interested in going through the, this pain anymore because mm -hmm. you know, we're taking on all the risk all the time, right? As a promoter or as someone who puts on events, we are always taking the risk, right? Like I, I don't see that many other industries there where you, that the actual person is, is taking like that is, is taking that that, that risk. Um, you know, people like for, for very, very little reward, right? And very, very little margins, right? And the, the margins were getting smaller and smaller as as we went along and I, I suppose this obviously just like smashed everything mm -hmm. uh, and so we're, we're, I suppose now it's a whole rebuilding stage like we need to negotiate in a way that you know like that deals with our past problems right and just being like the, the industry is not the same anymore so we need to change right how are we going to change right we, we need to we need to like have a united front and negotiate it as a, as a united team and as a, as a as a collaboration or like a consortium Right, and I think that's what we're trying oh, wow. to <laughs> consort here. Yeah. But like, I think that's that's how we need to change, right? We we need to stick up for each other as much as possible because the what everyone's like the new norm, the new norm, new norm, right? If you know, if if we want things to change and not go back to normal, if you, I mean, you look at countries like Hong Kong, it's like it's getting back to normal. I mean, obviously the protests and stuff like that are, mm -hmm. are you know, like uh, is changing society. Yeah. Then you know, the freedoms of the speech and everything like that is yeah. you know, a massive problem. But like day to day life in terms of like culture or like what, what people are doing, it's literally it's really like, yeah. it's opening up and like in a, in a month or two, like no one will remember what COVID is there. The only reason like people remember what COVID is there now is like not the ability not to travel. Right. And I think that's the differentiating part. But like, I just see Hong Kong just going back to Hong Kong, right? Same old Hong Kong. Right. And I think the thing is like the scary part about this is like, this is our moment in time to change, right? We need to change and break down everything that we're doing wrong. I mean, obviously, if you look about the protests all over the world, that's what's happening, right? We, we, we've we've mm. stopped. We've stopped and looked around and realized like what we're doing wrong and how bad 
the world is, so to speak, right? And we're trying to yeah. break that down as much as possible. And I think industry by industry, that, that should happen. And obviously the music industry or the cultural industry within Asia is an important part of that. Like we, we want to break it down. We want to make sure like it's a sustainable business. It's not something that, you know, the rich kids like basically can get involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we, want it, we really just want it to be something that's sustainable and, and, and that can grow in an organic way. Um, you, you've seen the growth of the music industry over the last 10, 15 years. Everyone wants to do yeah, a totally. festival, right? Festival, 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 bigger, 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 right? Bigger, 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 but fail, bigger, 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 fail, right? And fire, big, fire, fire, festival. <laughs> fire, festival, fire, festival. So, I mean, it's just like, but, but that's exactly it. That's a rich kid, right? Thinking yeah. he can do this, right? No experience, no experience running that type of event. And I think that, 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 that kind of like, like money to play Right, it's just not gonna. It's just not gonna exist anymore. And if it does exist, it's gonna exist like in in the kind of backwaters, right? People want to know they're working with the right people, right? And I think that's that's the important uh, thing that we're, that we're, that we're trying to push for. We're gonna make sure like pe- people are working with the right people. Uh, the audience is getting the right experience. The musician is being treated well and getting paid appropriately, right? And, and agents like are working with us, not against us, right? And I think that's 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 our whole incentive. Like we want we want to collaborate, right? Um, we we don't want to we don't we don't want to compete, right? And I I think gone are the, like hopefully gone are the days that everyone's trying to like step on each other to to get to the next fucking step, right? I think that's 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 hopefully gone. Um, but uh, I suppose using this time to basically contact everyone that we know that we work. With, with on a regular basis and build that network so then everyone's on the same page when we start again yeah that's a really good point i think um it kind of goes back to yeah essentially working together to create a more sustainable model and i think what COVID has done in so many other industries as well which is even in personal lives just taking the time to stop and reset and be like what have we been doing wrong and like running with this for so long it's finally time to yeah. like enough is enough um and yeah totally reset i think a book, another book that comes to mind if anyone's interested is the um, Simon um, Steenick book. I don't know if you've read it, The Infinite Game. Um, no. He's the author of What Is Your Why, which is obviously super Right, popular. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he wrote recently wrote a new one called The Infinite Game. It talks about how in the past, big corporations are always competing with each other. But now actually, like if you're, if you're gonna be competing, then how are you gonna move the industry forward? Um, and it talks more about our collaborative solution, which is exactly what you're talking about. Um, For sure. And the best approach really. Um, I'm just keeping, I'm just conscious of time and I mm-hmm. actually wanted to ask you a few more personal questions before we um, mm-hmm. wrap up. Sure. Um, and the first one being, what is on your playlist at the moment? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> this is, okay. Um, what is on my playlist at the moment? So obviously being from music, this should be like an automatic response, but obviously it's yeah. not. Um, but you don't actually listen to much music, do you? Like, I do, like you know, that, that's the thing. It's just like, you know, I, I, I love music with all my heart, but I, I suppose I, I love live music more than, more than anything else. And I, I obviously listen to music. Um, but I suppose like what's always on my playlist is Thundercat, right? Thundercat is like the grooviest motherfucker that ever existed, right? And I think, that is something that I can listen to whether I'm running, whether I'm you working, whether um, having, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Right. And I just, like, okay. it's, I mean, he's, he, it's, it's soulful. It's bassy. It's a, it's, it's a really great thing. And, uh, you know, it's something that I, 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 I listen to nearly every single day of my life. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, along with what you're listening to, what are you reading right now? And we often do book exchanges, which uh, actually due to do one. We do book exchanges. What are you reading? Exactly, we need one. It, it's kind of weird. I mean, just like I, I really went into this time being thinking I'm I'm going to read a lot, but I think what I've, I've been doing is obviously re, like listening to a lot of audio books and always having audio books, mm. like you know, playing whilst I'm working, playing whilst I'm walking, playing whilst yeah, I'm yeah. running, and it just like I, like most of the time I actually don't know who I'm listening to, right? And I, I think that's quite a quite a like fun thing because I'm picking up stuff from stuff I would never have picked up. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think that's like a really great thing. The thing, the, the, the thing that I'm listening to the most is Seth Godin's like two minutes. Um, and he basically every, every week or every other day, um, he kind of releases this two minutes of insight. And I, I think it, it's, it's really great to start the day with because yeah. it's a really key piece of insight of how to move forward, right? Or yeah. just basically think about like how to think um, you know, and he's, he's, he's obviously like a really great business author and a really great author, um, like and marketer, really great yeah. and marketer and everything like that. Right. And I think it, it's great to get that kind of insight in that, like, in that, that those two minutes, right. And it really starts my day off right. 
Um, whilst I'm drinking my coffee, I always listen to him and I'm just like, I'm not distracted by anything else because as you know, like I have a hundred million WhatsApps going on. I have like a million. <laughs> so I'm like addicted to his phone. <laughs> and the thing uh, is in I'm Asia, not... everyone uses WhatsApp for work, which I absolutely hate, but unfortunately it is what it, it is. It is <laughs> the worst, the best and worst thing ever invented. You know? yeah, I, I think the thing exactly. is just like having Nothing to reply like straight away is just like, it, it's annoying. And I, so I suppose it kind of seeps into your kind of personal life as well. And when people aren't replying on time, yeah, and you're totally. just like, why aren't you replying? And then you're just like, actually, they, they don't work for you. <laughs> you know, just like, you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> they, can, they can literally reply whenever they want. And I think, you know, yeah. that, that's, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. I think like- but You know, a, you don't have bit... to reply straight away. I mean, I know obviously you are, know sometimes you, you are the decision maker, but I think, it's important to learn. I, don't know. I mean, it, it works I, I, for different people. For sure. And I, I, I'm really teaching myself not to do that. And I, I think because I'm so used to being around people, right? I think that, you know, like a, a message is something that I, I fixate on, right? Which I shouldn't, right? And I think that's, that's something that obviously throughout this whole process is like of slowing down is learning that you don't always need to be <laughs> like engaged. You don't always don't need to like have like multiple things going on. I think that my perfect example of that is yesterday when, because it was my birthday, I decided to take the day off uh, for the, probably the first time in two years uh, and just be like, I'm not going to answer any emails and I'm not going to answer any like work phone calls. I mean, Alfred did call me at one stage, uh, but you know, apart from that, I, I really, I really switched off and I actually just feel so great today just because I did that. Um, and I, I didn't do anything different. You know, I didn't, I didn't get drunk for my birthday yesterday. I didn't do like, you know, obviously I had a dinner and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I, I just felt I felt refreshed this morning. And I was like, I had the same amount of sleep. I say I had the same amount of everything. But I think the thing is, because I hadn't been responding and been on phone calls the whole day, I was allowed, I allowed my mind to rest. And actually, mm -hmm. like, I've had a very productive day today without even, like, thinking about it, without even having to do anything different apart from switching off once in a while. Um, and I think that's, that, that, was, that was a really kind of important lesson that I learned when I was 34 years old. I learned that <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> no I know and I think it's like something that I've definitely learned as well I've realized that's why I try not to do meetings in the mornings because I found meetings meetings don't really take even like phone calls they don't really take that much brain power but so I try and save like my mornings to do like the strategic like heavy brain thinking stuff and then do the heavy meetings lifting. later on <laughs> heavy lifting, yeah. the mental lifting, yeah. I, I, you know yeah, um for sure something for i've sure. learned and i've been more productive for it like i would never leave like for example writing a proposal i would never leave that to the evening to write i mean some people prefer but for me I, I, like it needs to refresh things first in the morning yeah. you know yeah. you just gotta find, find what works for you um for sure but you know the seth godin thing um is that a podcast or is it a um, no, that's, that's that on, on, on Insta read. Um, so it just, it just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just basically I'm speaking for two minutes. Um, oh, nice. but yeah, it's, it's super insightful, super, super insightful. Yes. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. Like every this morning. Book, this is marketing is really good as well. You should read that. Yeah, it is. That's very, very good. Um, yeah. Okay. One last question. What would you say mm -hmm. is, you know, your biggest lesson to pass on to, you know, inspiring and existing entrepreneurs and what's the biggest lesson you've learned throughout this whole journey of yours? Um, I suppose like, like the biggest lesson I've learned is just like, actually people are just people, right? I've always, like, I've always, like, I suppose growing up as an entrepreneur, I was just like, I was always scared to reach out to people. I was always scared to pick up the phone. I was always scared to send an email. Um, and I, I didn't know why. And you know, I suppose starting out, you think, okay, I, I don't want to email this person because they, they think I'm a small fry. I'm so, and like, blah, blah, right? Obviously, don't annoy people, right? Don't annoy people by continually sending stuff out to people, like saying, hey, this is my music, this is my music, this is my music, or, you know, can we work together? Can we work together? I think it, it's more to do with the fact that, you know, humans are humans, right? And the thing is, like, like most, more, more often than not, people want to connect, right? And see what you have to say. Obviously, if they have time to do that, they will do that. Right. Mm. So I think, you know, if someone doesn't reply, don't take it personally. Right. Yeah, it's just, totally. it, it just, it just happens that, you know, it didn't, it didn't fall within the, the, the inbox. Like they, you know, they, they regularly check. Right. Yeah. And I think just don't be scared to reach out. Right. I think reaching out and, you know, like trying to set up a meeting or like doing anything like that to further your career. Right. I've seen so many people stagnate because they, you know, they sent out two or three emails and say, oh, they're not interested, right? It's like, mm -hmm. are you tr are you trying to make them interested, or like, what what are you doing to 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 get to know them? Like, what are you doing yeah, to okay. make sure you're heard? 
right? And I think that's, you know, that, the, the, that's the one of the biggest weaknesses I see in a lot of people who are aspiring entrepreneurs or aspiring business people, aspiring creatives. Like they, mm. they give up too easily, right? And I think I am not the most talented event producer in the world. I'm not the, I don't know the most about music. I don't know most about culture or taste or anything like that. But like, I, I, I feel like I'm a person who just doesn't give up, right? And I like yeah. to the point, like, relentless. like I, 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 I'm relentless, right? And the thing is like, like my, being relentless is not being annoying. Okay, maybe I'm annoying like, sometimes <laughs> when I repeat myself, right? Because like something's wrong. But like, <laughs> no, but, like, I, I think yeah, it, yeah, we get what you mean. It, it, it's like, you need to keep going, right? Like people are yeah. like, people aren't there to make your life easier, right? You know, yeah, they, maybe yeah. there's some angels out there, right? But like, I think like, especially like during this time, right? I, I think we've basically like tried to launch multiple things, right? And, you know, mm. 10 minutes before we launch, that can't happen because the government says something, you know, like that can't happen because of a certain reason, right? And you can just, like, you can literally stay in bed the whole day and say, fuck this, like, the whole world's against me. Or yeah. you can just fucking start again and just keep pushing because the people who keep pushing more often than not succeed and the people who just like kind of rest on, on, a, on a bad decision or like yeah. someone not not taking the time to like read their email right you know those people who let that kind of like that negativity fester within their heads right yeah. they don't they don't move forward right they they all they already think their product sucks you know and if you look at any kind of like big entrepreneur in the world most people's products like like got rejected most like like people's like um ideas got rejected especially in your family and friends right and with your family and friends when you are like pitching them your idea Right. They're going to they're going to say no straight away or they're going to tell you what's wrong with it straight away. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they, they think you're looking to them for criticism. Right. Or they're, they're trying to save you from a, a, a life of pain as an entrepreneur. Right. So they'll tell you every single reason why you shouldn't do it. But they'll say it's a good idea. Right. And I think that's it. You know, you're kind of like you don't you don't need to always count on your circle like of people around you to let, let you know if it's a good idea or not. They will only tell you it's a yeah, good totally. idea. Right, that's it, right? They'll, they'll be like, I supported you from day one. It's like, actually you didn't. You told me it's like, are you sure you want to do that, right? Mm. And I think that's, that's an important lesson. It's just like, it's very, it's very, very easy to like take negativity like very, very, like, yeah. like very, very heavily, right? And you, you'll get stepped on on a regular basis, right? There's going to be people in the industry who've been there too long and you know they're cynical they're spiteful they want to step on someone because they've been stepped on you know that they, they they approach the thing like they approach the world the wrong way right don't 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 be discouraged by those people yeah right? totally. you know, don't be discouraged by by knockdowns you know obviously that you, you have time to grieve over a proposal right that didn't come through right obviously mm -hmm. you have time you know you spend a lot of time on it but you know there's a million other proposals there's a million other things you can do right or there's a there's, there's a small tweak of that kind of proposal that'll make it like like green lit and i think that that's important it's important just not to give up right but again like if you like don't don't keep going if like if it, if it doesn't make any sense as well right they definitely comes with a warning but you know i think i think like that that ability to reach out and take take on criticism and you know and not not let that kind of negativity affect you is mm -hmm. like very very important and just to put yourself out there i think i resonate so much with what you're saying when i first started this platform i think you know, I literally was reaching out to my immediate network. And I think the first person I interviewed was my CEO at the company that I worked at. I mean, he was a pretty big deal, but like, you know, yeah. uh, I knew him yeah, personally. Sure. But then, yeah. and then since then, I just, I was reaching out to even like DJs and musicians on, on, on Instagram. And there was this big DJ responded. And I was like, oh my gosh, she responded. Like, I, it yeah. was so exciting to hear about the, the amount of like emails and like messages I sent out. I got so many, you know, like... Uh, just blanks and no replies and to be honest like I'd forgotten yeah. about them but at the time it was quite disheartening me like oh maybe you know you're not good enough but at the end of the day some people just don't have time for or it's not the right moment you can't take it I never took it personally it, exactly exactly it's, 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 so, it's exactly it you like you you, uh, you literally might have sent an email when that person has had a big night the night before and it has a hangover exactly. and, decides and to forgot to reply yeah right and, you, and you've spent three years coming up with that concept right yeah it's, 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 it's all about timing right and the thing mm. is if it's like if you if you just if you think like whoa me every single time something goes wrong right obviously if you're making mistakes and they're like you know they're they're, they're, they're horribly wrong right please like be hard on yourself and change it right but i think that at the end of the day 
right? It's just like, you know, pe- people have lives, right? You can't be like, so like, you know, people have lives, they run businesses, they, they make decisions because of their personal reasons or their bu- business reasons, right? It doesn't mean that like what you're doing is wrong. It's just wrong for them at that time. Yeah, and I think people you gotta understand always always understand that people are busy, you know. Um, and exactly. this is why I think like um, uh, like I guess like self awareness is so important, you know, understanding where your value is. And I think I see a lot of businesses or like personal brands where it's just like all about them. It's like it's actually not. It's like how are you providing a solution to your clients, not making the brand about you. Um, and that's where I think a lot of people fail because obviously you want to blend your passion with your business and, and that's fine you can you know essentially start a business from your passion but mm-hmm. it's about understanding that it's yeah it's not just about you and it's actually about you providing value to your clients um, yeah for sure but yeah I'm gonna have to unfortunately wrap this conversation up now because it's that's been, it um, yeah but while I think I feel like we've got so many other topics that we could face um, <laughs> on but um, yeah thank you so much for joining us um, no this is a really interesting conversation as always um, and for anyone who wants to get in touch with Zion personally I'll put all the details and links to his companies in the show notes um, and yeah if you're looking for Not more inspiration <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to do you when I threatened to put threatened I didn't forget that's not right word but I'm going to put your phone number on the 222 business card oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah okay, um, no I'm not going to put his phone number but um, yeah. linked um, Instagram maybe drop him a DM <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but if anyone, if you're looking for more inspiration, there's tons of other, you know, stories and interviews, also freebies and resources, just head to anotherstartupstory.com or you can find us on Instagram. But thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you guys thanks, enjoy the session. <laughs> All right. Bye.